0: Hey, Jeff Johnston. Welcome to the Living Undeterred Podcast. Uh, I have another awesome guest I'm very excited to talk about. I've had a lot of conversations with Joe off air uh, and um, I thought, uh, hey, you know, Joe, we ought to be having these conversations and actually record them because I think people listening to us talk through these different issues with mental mental wellness and mental health and mental illness and uh, all these things that are going on today. uh, I think there's some benefit to kind of being a fly on the wall occasionally. So, Joe Colavito, right? Yes. <laughs> I know there's so many so many uh, different ways to pronounce people's last names apparently, but uh, welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk with you.
1: Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. And, and you're right, our offline conversations have been uh, thought-provoking and inspiring. So I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of plays out today.
0: You know, it's interesting because Five years ago, I didn't, I didn't set down the road of mental health advocacy and, and mental wellness awareness and all the a mental health awareness um, and got kind of thrown into it through some personal life events. Uh, is your journey similar? I mean, were you at one point not overly concerned with mental health for individuals and then all of a sudden, boom, something happened and now you're now you're a passionate advocate?
1: Absolutely. And and that first something was the loss of uh, one of our good friend's sons, um, who made the decision to uh, take his life by suicide. And that was 2007. And uh, actually started to see a pattern. And that happened five times between 2007 and 2011, just in our community in Atlanta. And uh, by then, it had a hold in my heart, and, you know, one of the questions that we ask people in our coaching process is, what greatly disturbs you to the point you need to take action? Um, and that was it. I, I just started saying, okay, what is up with all this? And it's happening right around all of my kids and their peers, yeah. and, you know, can I help? So, yeah, that was the triggering event.
0: You know, in, in my situation, you know, you look at uh, overdose, you look at alcoholism, uh, but there's always this, this you know, overhanging mental health issue. And most people that, either people that, um, you know, take their own lives and uh, it seems like to me there's this underpinning of mental health. So, I mean, why do you think we are having such a hard time with our inability to just be in contention or content with what we have in our lives? Why is it that we're always either comparing ourselves to other people or we just seem to be in, in just a incredible abundance we have, we just seem to be so disconnected to ourselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to go with that. But I mean, the first thing that pops to mind is, um, yeah, I'm growing up and, you know, my dad wants me to be successful in sports, like, you know, most dads want their sons to be successful in sports. And so you learn really early on to, to wear um, what I call the three C lens, right? Competing comparing and criticizing right so you're Mm -hmm. you're always competing with the people even though you call them friends and you're comparing what they have to what you have how fast they are how tall they are uh what their jump shots like um and then you're kind of criticizing in most cases um yourself but in some cases them as, as well right so it's like we just start deflecting everything instead of really feeling everything
0: you know, adults are just as guilty, if not more. Uh, I know I run through that when I'm building up my living undeterred brand and, and I, I see what other people are doing and. You know, I, am a, com- I'm a competitor and I'm sure you are as well. And, um, being in sports is great. It teaches you resiliency and mental toughness and all these things, but it also can create, um, a lot of personal battles inside of your own head where you're, you're, you're comparing yourself to other people, what they're doing and. I have struggled with that my whole life. And I think imposter syndrome can be, uh, you know, actually can be a good thing uh, because it can get you kind of, get you motivated and make your life better. But for me, I've kind of found out just, if I can just slow down and be aware and actually be genuinely happy for other people's successes. And it takes practice. It does because, I mean, it's, it's, I think human nature to want good things for people but not at your expense in other words we think it's a zero-sum game we I see Joe do well so thus I am losing something and I think as we go through life we have to realize it's not a zero-sum game when someone wins you don't lose you you can have win-wins you can have win-win-win-win-win and it took me a while to kind of start realizing that so now When I see somebody do something that either I wanted to do, but just didn't get around to it, or it's just a better idea than I had, I'll reach out to them and and congratulate them publicly. I mean, I'll I'll share their post. And, you know, I tell you what, I'm not going to lie. It took me a while to be that type of man. And maybe being humbled by losing my wife and losing my son made me realize that there's being petty and being envious and jealous, you know, just is a wasted emotion. What's your thoughts on that, and in your coaching program? Which I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what what a coach is and what you do. But how do you talk to people about having, you know, authentic gratitude towards other people's success and not looking at it as something that it's a it's a win lose proposition?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go way back. Um, 2003 is when I first learned this lesson that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, i was sitting with uh dennis warden i'm gonna give a shout out to dennis um he was a mentor and a coach and he asked you know well could you copy me on your boss's powerpoint you know this this keynote presentation that you're raving about could you send me a copy of it and i don't know what my face did but inside my mind i was like well well, no because that's doug's like i can't i can't give you doug's keynote that he goes out and you know makes a living off of Mm -hmm. and dennis just looked at me and he goes oh i'm I'm so sorry. Has anyone ever taught you the difference between abundance and scarcity,
0: Joe? <laughs> yep, absolutely. And they went,
1: "No," Maybe. but I'm open to learning, Dennis. And he said, "Yeah." So, what you just represented was the scarcity mindset—like there's only one presentation and only one person can give it. Versus, this is such a good presentation, everybody should be giving it. Yeah. Um, and he said, "So, you know, when when you learn to a- adopt an abundance mindset, you'll you have a lot better life, right?" So that was the beginning of it. Um, But, you know, go to social media for a second and, and, you know, I'm going to share your confession. When I open up and see other speakers, other authors, other coaches, right, and they're at some event and they're doing something. And I'm like sitting in my home office here with my Coke machine and my little, <laughs> right. Talking to and Jeff John Johnston
0: on the Living Undeterred podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, what, how long can I'm this go, wrong?
1: Joe? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I be out there more? How come I'm getting overlooked? Right. So right. We, we all battle right. that, um, you know, but this community that I've come into with um, Devin Savagno Salvagno and Adam Ritchie and, and Kurt David and, you know, this whole, purpose summit you know that now is coming out as a movie um when you start realizing that the more i want them to win the more i win and you start to really truly adopt that uh, abundance mindset um the way we grow together is always better than the way we grow alone.
0: yeah no question and some of my best allies and closest friends have been people that i've literally reached out to them and and um kind of cultivated that relationship and uh you know from the from the outside people looking at us would consider us competitors and i think that's one of the problems i saw in the mental health space when i first got into it joe is everyone was a silo shop everyone was kind of chasing the same nonprofit dollars the same grant money it's like why would i help joe if we're both applying for the same grants you know and you know i guess at some points that that may be uh something that um can make some sense but the reality is uh, through collaboration and connectivity and, and being vulnerable, that's how we're going to get ourselves out of this mess. You know, um, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, and 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 uh, it's interesting because you know Leslie and 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 Anne and you know this this community that you and I are starting to kind of tangentially you know bump into. You've been connected to them longer than I have, but. Um, they're all receptive. They all have an abundance mindset. They're all responding. Like I'm celebrating every post that they have yeah. because I know it's, it's, it's fighting the battle, right? They're, they're at the forefront. Um, but the, the other thought that you know, came to my mind is when, whenever I have just said, you know what, I'd rather fix the problem, i.e. I want overdoses to go down. I want suicides to go down. And so someone asked me the other day, have you copyrighted your life purpose scan? I said, no, I, I haven't. And they said, well, I mean, you're putting it out there. What if somebody like takes the statements, you know, all this you know knowledge that you have and, and they st- steal it and they start using it? And I'm like, will it save thousands of lives versus the hundreds that I'm touching? I'll, yeah. I'll give it to them. Right now, obviously, you know, there's this other part of you that's like, I I want it to get out there the right way. I want it to be used the right way. Right. I, I, you know, I'm not quite sure the best way for it to be out there yet. So I I hope somebody waits a little long before they steal it from me. But if they steal it and save thousands of lives and I was only going to save hundreds, we win.
0: Yeah, there's there is certainly an issue with trying to protect your uh, intellectual property, um, especially if it's something you've spent a lot of time on trying to come up with. But you know, at the end of the day, these people that could potentially be raving fans for whatever agenda you're promoting, they can actually become allies of yours. Um, And you're right. I mean, isn't what we're trying to do at the end of the day, save lives. Uh, And obviously when you're making a pivot from a nonprofit, say to a for-profit, which is a tough thing to do when you're in the mental health space, because people may think, well, do you feel guilty making money off the backs of, you know, people who've died from, you know, overdose and alcoholism and suicide. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I struggled with that. I really did for a couple of years and, um, finally decided that, you know, if, I, I guess there shouldn't be any shame or any guilt in helping people and simultaneously being able to provide for your own family. Because for me, money is a ways to a means of trying to help more people. So the more I can make, the more I can earn, and people could say, well, that's, everyone says that Jeff, well, okay. If I went back and showed you how much I have spent out of my own pocket, just on the tour alone, the 95 days we did around the country where I didn't raise much money at all. I mean, I lost 10 times what I raised. So when I say lost, I'm looking at that as an investment. So I say loss to you, just so you can understand kind of the lens, how most people look at that. It's like, when you have an employee, yeah. you don't call that, you don't call that an expense. You know, two employees aren't, aren't payroll is not an expense. It's an investment. And so when I was spending Absolutely. money on the tour, when I was throwing money in left and right out of my own personal pocket into my nonprofit, um, there's many times I questioned if that was the, is that, if that's what I should be doing. But at the end of the day, if you do the right thing, and you do it with integrity, and you do it with, with, you know, an authentic purpose, then shouldn't all the rest of everything else take care of itself? I mean, shouldn't yeah, it work so, that way?
1: So let's, let's, but this is a great conversation, right? It's not one I think we're planning on having, but let's just... No, no, it I right think thing. a lot of people
0: listening are in the same boat that, that we're in.
1: Yeah, but ultimately, our motive is transparent. So if, if my motive is to help as many trusted adults and trusted advisors have deeper conversations with kids so we can prevent losing them to overdose and suicide. That, that's gonna be clear. People are gonna know that's my heart, okay? Um, if my motive is to leverage that and the story of almost losing two of our daughters to suicide so that I can make a profit, people are gonna know that, right? And, and so, so here's my question to you. Would would you knowing my heart and knowing kind of what I'm all about, would you rather have me spend 40 hours a week doing sales training and executive coaching so I can pay my bills? Or would you rather have and and then add 20 hours onto it to to help come to the the forefront of this issue? Right. Or would you rather have me all in for 60 hours a week, able to pay my bills through this through this work? Which which way would you rather have me show up in the world?
0: I think you've answered your own question that way. I mean, there's no question that, that you're more valuable to the human race and you're more valuable to your family on the latter.
1: Yeah, and so I'm just letting you know, you're not the only guy who wrestles with that, right? So I literally been not only wrestling with that, but my business partner and I, Dan Wilkins, were having conversations about like, when and if we shift our business model, right, to, if it's possible, all in on high schools and all in on middle schools and, you know, all in on, on helping trusted adults save their kids. And, you know, I hope that sooner than later, but right now it doesn't even seem like a reality because we're, we're starting from scratch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what you and I talked about last few times we've talked on the phone is the similarities of our, our end game, our passion, our, our purpose, you know, what drives us. Uh, and And we're, kind of on similar, I'd say parallel roads. We're not on the same road, we're on parallel roads. And um, I wanna take this moment then to kind of pivot to the next area where I wanna spend some time. And that's the, uh, the issue with, as an advocate, trying to decide where you want to spend your time. Because when I went through what I went through, Joe, my initial inclination was, I'm going down to now. I'm not going to do this, obviously. This is more just a story. But I was an angry dad. So I wanted to be that dad at the White House protesting, you know, anti fentanyl things. I wanted to go down to Mexico and hand to hand combat with the drug cartels, which, you know, obviously that probably wouldn't have ended very well for me. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to go out. Now, if I bring you with me, I'm probably okay. But, uh, um, maybe some,
1: I, of my cousins. maybe some of yeah. my cousins from up in New York. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let's make some phone calls, Joe. I'm all for it. Um, but no, and I wanted to go after big pharma and I wanted to go after you know, China and just, you know, and then after a while I thought to myself, man, I just, that just, isn't really where I think I want to spend at 56 years old, you know, the next 20 good years of really intense focus on this that takes me to 76. Um, yeah. and I decided to make a pivot into, the demand side. So I, I didn't, I didn't think about the supply side. I want the demand side. And then when I got to the demand side, I'm like, okay, now do I go into the recovery space, the rehab space? Do I go into, you know, kids, you know, wh- where do I spend my time? Because again, once you make that decision from going from the supply side to the demand side, then you got to decide which, because you can't save everybody and you can't have a, a plan where you're trying to do that because you'll just get watered down and every little piece will get of Jeff Johnston. And that's not as effective as somebody getting a hundred percent of Jeff Johnston. So I made the decision a little while ago to, to, to focus on kids because when I started looking at where the money's going and where the government's spending and where the, the, um, you know, the, the amount of rehab facilities and recovery groups and all these, all this emphasis on recovery and rehab. I got to thinking to myself, well, aren't we almost putting a band-aid on a, on a gaping wound? Aren't we putting out a forest fire with thimbles? When, if we could just get to the kids before they even have any of these problems, wouldn't that be much more time spent and, and, and capital spent as a society? And I'm not saying neglect a 40 year old housewife that drinks three bottles of Cabernet every night, uh, or the guy who drinks, you know, beer every night, uh, at home after work, we still need to have, facilities and places where those people can go to get help. But it seems like to me that we just get this forest fire just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we keep throwing more and more money and more and more facilities after it. And more and more advocates going down that road because maybe it's more lucrative, I don't know. And the kids just get kind of left. The kids get kind of just left out. It's like, you know, you know, there's 10 kids coming up. Um, Some of them are going to slip through the cracks when they do, we'll have rehab form, we'll have therapist form, we'll have meds form. But I'm like, but that strategy hasn't worked. It, it's just, it, it, it's not a strategy that's been productive. And, and you look at all the statistics and you have to really nitpick to find anything that's that's in the going in a good direction. But most of them are, are worse than they were a decade ago. So I know your answer, and that's not really a question. That's more of an observation I just made. But so you 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 I think are in agreement. I think I think the kids are the future and that and that's where you spend a lot of your time in developing your programs. So let's spend a little bit on on um what your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, um I'm just gonna summarize it, right? You and I believe that we need a proactive versus a reactive response. Absolutely. And so when I searched my heart, obviously losing those, you know, either friends or Teammates, or whatever, of my kids, you know, in close proximity. And one was actually a a young woman that I actually coached. I was volunteering time out at a private school, and the uh, associate headmaster said, Hey, would you give this girl some help? She's got chronic back pain, spina bifida, some different things going on. And she's a great kid. And so I thought I did everything I could to get her in position to, you know, and, and we did, we got her to a, a college where she got a, a full scholarship to be the manager of the football team. And it looked like we had been successful. Um, and then she uh, took her life in her dorm room. And my daughter happened to be at the same school at that time. So mm-hmm. I'll never forget that night where Jesse said somebody has shot a gun and we're all in lockdown. And two days later, I get a call to find out that's, um, that it was Beth. So wow. these are devastating things. These are things you're you're not going to recover from right? There's trauma there. And so we can either run from that or we can, we can run toward that. So I've, I've chosen to run toward it. And, and here's my thought, who better to invest in than, I'm just going to call it eighth grade for right now to have a pinpoint in it. So mm-hmm. eighth graders, you know, up through high school, if we can get them where they understand who they are identity, they're clear on their purpose before they start trying to answer the questions of what college do I want to go to, what do I want to major in, what do I want my career to be so we're, we're basically asking them to answer questions without the foundation of identity and purpose built first mm-hmm. so it's like build me a three-story building um but don't use any rebar or cement on the bottom yeah. level right? yeah. and and yeah. so the choice that i've made is i'm going to pour into them even though my heart breaks for all the people i can see that are 24 to 64 that are still struggling um, but my hope is that there will be other people like you and i that care just as much about them as we care about the kids, and so to your point, we can't put ten percent of Joe and Jeff into you know ten different buckets. Let's go all in on this one bucket. Let's let's help the eighth grade through college senior, and that's that's where my focus is.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I'm gravitating to as well. Uh, that you know about eighteen to twenty five. Uh, the problem is if you design programs for anything under eighteen when they're not of age. You, you kind of run into some issues with parental consent and confidence, you know, it, it's a little more difficult. Um, at least I'm finding that out when I speak to people, but I don't think you yeah. can go too young. I mean, I get asked by parents all the time, you know, how, how young is too young to talk about these issues? And um, depending on the child um, and the maturity level, I don't know, what, what's your answer to that question? How, how young is too young? Why would you tell a parent right now if they got a two and a four-year-old when do you start talking about mental health and how do you present mental health in a way where a child can understand what is coming down the road?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna take a little different spin on it and, and again, agree with you. It's never too young, it's never too early, um, but, but part of what you and I have to be doing is, how do we train, coach, empower These trusted adults—you know, parents of a two to four-year-old, parents of a middle schooler, parents of a high school-age kid, parents of a college kid—how do we empower them to be comfortable getting uncomfortable with these conversations that there's a stigma around, right? So how do I get them to basically say, "Hey, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to come to me and say, you know, you're struggling. We we will get you help. Like I might not be able to help you, but I can listen." Right. How do we how do we get them comfortable with that? So, but you know, I was up in Michigan, you know, trying to float some of the things we're doing, and I ran into an amazing group of people at a at a private middle school, and they said, you know, the wording you're using in the instrument you're using is a little too high level for our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. But in that conversation, I kind of left, and I'm sure you've had these moments where you're like, I didn't see that. I oh, wasn't yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. But what they just raised to me is more important than what I'm currently doing, and that is, what's the area that you think our kids are the most vulnerable? Do you think 6th, 7th, and 8th grade might be important?
0: Well what's the area or i guess what's the age you think
1: The age frame right sixth seventh eighth grade just think about all the change that's going on all the potential bullying all the i don't know where to fit in all the moving parents are moving and they're having to come in and they're getting ready for the pressure of high school right it's like to not focus on that group would be a huge mistake
0: Oh, absolutely and if you just look at the development of say like the prefrontal cortex which you know about that and that's one of the last parts of the brain to actually develop they they say it takes up to age 25 to be fully developed so you know if you're talking to sixth seventh and eighth graders um for some that may be too late for some that's years early uh but but there is still hope you know even in that 16 18 19 21 year old age bracket they're not fully developed in their brains and so they can be um You know, there's certainly areas that, but once you get past 25 and that's where, you know, the whole, you know, if I were to ask you right now, you know, Joe, take the word recovery. Okay. So going around the United States right now, there's a big popular thing that's exploding called recovery community centers. And these are peer led peer to peer centers that have really no agenda. They're they're non-denominational. So you can come in, talk to other peers struggling with the same things. Guess what the average age is in the, in the current recovery community space in the united states
1: geez i i don't know but i i'm my mind is drifting to the you know my 20 my somethings that i have it's 41. wow exactly and so iowa alone has four rccs
0: that just opened up we're one of the last states to on this whole uh, recovery community and they're great i I think recovery community centers. There should be one on every street corner, like there are casinos, bars, and banks and churches. Um, We should have a recovery community center on every street because the ones that are opened up fill up quickly, uh, and they're nonprofits. They're they're a great idea, but the problem is the average age is forty-one. So again, people coming in there, I don't want to say already damaged goods, but you're putting you're putting out fires with all of them, and that's a that's a reactive. And again, we need this. I'm not criticizing anything about the recovery community centers whatsoever but it kind of it kind of leaves that other side of the fence the adolescents the 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 younger kids Um, and and we're almost at a point where we'll we'll just we'll watch we'll watch them and then the ones that go down the bad roads we'll jump in and we'll provide help for them and I'm like well could we probably prevent a lot of those from even going down those roads if we could get in front of these kids sooner so I think you and I are in agreement with that. Um, and again- um...
1: yeah, I just had a, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you just gave me a really interesting vision for us. Okay. Yeah, I wanna recovery community center on, on every corner because there are, there's, you know, 18 year olds to, to 61 year olds that need the help, okay? But what if our work 20 years from now made those recovery centers obsolete? What if they weren't great? needed what, what if they weren't needed because an entire generation grew up open to talking about their feelings, open to seeking help early, not waiting till it was, you know, you know, later, right. um, knowing how, you know, friends to care for friends, parents to care for, you know, their kids. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it's a big task, but I, I like to have something out in front of me that says, you know, Hey, what if 20 years from now, if we got this right, you know, we didn't need recovery centers.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no question. It would be, I think, I think putting them out of business is a, is a, is a, is a, good objective to have because you know, that would mean there's more adults that aren't battling these things. Um, and, you know, I yeah. guess going back to mindset and how we can reframe this, and I, and this is a common theme in a lot of my podcasts. So people that are watching this, maybe have heard this before, but we kind of look at things, let's just take depression, for example. Um, hmm okay, so the mindset is that depression is this thing attached to certain people. And for some people, it's not. So, you know, I'm, I'm, let's say I'm depressed and you're not, the implication or the assumption is that I have depression, but you don't. And I think the problem with that is if you're the one that has it, now you start feeling inferior. You know, why am I odd? And why is Joe normal? And now I'm abnormal. And so all of a sudden there's this, separation of self where I'm now thinking not only not only to have other issues, maybe I don't have any meaning and purpose. Maybe I'm 50 pounds overweight. Maybe I can't make my my car payment. But now, you know, I feel like I have something that Joe doesn't have. Why, why, why am I so unlucky? And I think if we can reframe this and say, you know what, Joe has depression, but Joe is a spectrum. Joe's got a zero or a one on depression and you just happen to have a seven. So if we could tell kids, everybody has depression, everybody has attention deficit, everybody has all these things, but some kids, it manifests early and often, and possibly they have to take medication. Um, I'm not anti-meds, I'm just anti-meds is the only option. Uh, But I thought maybe if we could start talking to kids in the context that we all have these things, um, and it's more on a spectrum because I think then kids could start to feel like I'm not the odd one. i everybody has depression. I just have a little more of it than Joe. Um, and it's no different than motivation. Everyone has motivation. Some kids just have less and some just have more. I mean, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on. I'm, i was going to search for my book, but I won't waste your time. I've got a, a comment that you just triggered, which is, you know, even the strongest, most successful. You know those who appear you know to be doing the best in this life still struggle
0: anthony bourdain (laughs)
1: anthony bourdain
0: kate spade robin williams um it goes on and on and on people that are in the spotlight
1: joe 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 calavito joe calavito struggles
0: i I still
1: do on a a daily basis i know i'm able to read myself better is the only difference so i know when at six seven o'clock at night i've poured out as much as i can into people and my battery's drained, and that's when I'm most vulnerable to self-talk that yeah. will cause me to think I really don't matter. What I'm doing doesn't matter. Like, I, you know, I, I'd be I'd be foolish not to share that. That's how I feel as mm-hmm. a fairly successful, fairly stable adult who coaches other adults, right? Right. So right. Um, you're right. This 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 concept of because you we're all on the d- depression continuum. We're all on the anxiety continuum. We're all on the busyness. We're all on the distraction. We 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 all have some elements of those. Um, The question is, how do we process those thoughts? So you know, one of the things we talk about, and I'd love to throw it back at you, is you know, one of our our anchor um, you know principles for our whole business is be careful what you think, because your thoughts run or ruin your life. And the only difference between the word run and ruin is the eye. So when I get too eye focused, you know, Oh, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to have depression? You know, why did I have to fail the test? Why did I get the bad professor? Right? So when I, when I start to process things through this self pity, eye lens, I have no choice, but to fall into depression and hopelessness. Like where else am I going to go on that path?
0: I'm happy you brought that up because more times than not, when I am doing my meditation through a guided app that I use, we talk about this illusion of self you know this this eye that we run through life you know behind these eyes and everything is you know we're in the middle of everything you know we're the center of everything and when you meditate you realize that we're just observers you know we're just we're kind of here for the ride and and things are going to happen whether i wake up or not most of what happens during the day is going to happen um and i'll be quick quickly forgotten as well. When I'm gone, um, you know, some, some of us are last a little longer because our legacies are a little deeper, but for the average human that passes away, it doesn't take a lot of time for the universe to forget about us, you know, and I'm not trying to make people feel insignificant, but I think the, the practice of the meditation that I use isn't trying to make you feel insignificant. It's just to make you understand you're probably not as valuable to the universe as you think you are. And that, as an observer and being aware of thoughts come and go, it can actually help you when you're going through grief, trauma, depression, anger, all these things, because you don't have to identify with your thoughts. And that's been a key pivot point in my life the last five years, because I'd never meditated prior to Seth dying and I had, I was reaching for ways. I didn't want to drink. That was killing me. So what other things could I do? And meditation was something I gravitated to. And then I learned real quickly that, Hey, you know what? I'm not obligated to identify with my thoughts. But what if, happens what if we taught or showed our kids to kind of think in those contexts, you know, how much more powerful our words could be if we could get kids to really learn not to identify with this I, you know, like I heard someone yeah. say one time, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, you know, when you're in a situation and you're talking to yourself, right? Who, who are you talking to? Who's the other person you're talking to? Yeah. Well, it's you. Yeah. It, there, there isn't two people. You know, and that, I think that's the, that's the mindset we have this 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 angel and this devil, or we have the good and evil, and we have this you know um, one person in, inside of me, and we have another. It's like it's the same person. You just to have good mental health, you just got to be talking to the right person in your head. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, you know, it's, you just.
1: Your, your comment about um, you're probably not as valuable to the universe as, as you think you are, right? And so you can't control as much, you can't impact as much, right? Um, is totally true. But the other side of it is equally as true. It's it's a coin, right? But you're probably way more valuable to those closest to you than you think you are, Absolutely. <laughs> right? You're, you you have the potential to add a lot more. And so let, let's just go to this I versus we or or, or me versus us, right? So that's the whole point of purpose. Purpose is simply your unique way of making life better for others. So when I'm focused on me, WIIFM, what's in it for me, right? That, that radio station that everybody listens to by default versus WIIFY, what's in it for you? So just literally that shift in perspective. So when, when I enter a conversation like, what could I do to help Jeff leave this better? What could I do to help you know, Susan get through this? As soon as I shift my focus from me to we, from from you know what, what's in it for me to what's in it for you, I literally tap into oxytocin, dopamine, you know, yeah. endorphins, all the things that everybody wants more of and is right. you know running around trying to find ways to get them. I literally get that just by shifting off of me onto you. That's easy. Yeah. So the challenge well, is it's that, simple, how do? You... It's, simple, it's not easy. Right. <laughs> it's right. simple to understand. It's not easy to do.
0: Yeah, like most things are simple but they're just not easy um but how do you so you can tap into that quickly and get that hit of dopamine but how do you maintain that you know that i think that's the challenge is like you know i can get you to lose weight you can get me to lose weight but how do you maintain it um i can fire you up at a halftime speech and send you out there in the third quarter knocking heads off but then you know beginning of the fourth quarter you're back to where you were halfway through the first quarter so it's like as coach how, how do you maintain that for people joe
1: yeah. Well, that's that's the hardest part about coaching, right. actually. Right. right? So the, the first thing that that us healthy coaches have to admit is I, I can't control you. Um, I actually can't, you know, increase or decrease your desire. It has to come from you. And so, you know, often I'll say to something, you know, Jeff, do you want to improve in this area? Because if you don't want to improve in it, I have no motivational speech, I have no principle, no best practice, there's there's nothing I can do until you want to. Um, So back when I was doing sales training exclusively, I had a a goofy little formula that I could get folks to resonate with, will do plus sign can do equals new revenue. If you will do what we can teach you to can do, you'll get new revenue. But if you won't do it, I can train you all day long. I can sit there on a splitter and listen to your calls, but you have to have your own desire. And so I always default to Daniel Pink. Uh, have you read his book Drive no, by I, any chance? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I, so really, really quick. I, I, yeah, I do recommend it for your, your audience and, and for you, but he basically shifted from motivation 1.0, which was carrot and stick. Do what I want you to do, I give you a carrot. Do what I don't want you to do, I hit you with a stick. Okay. He's like, that's dead. And so uh, I'm going to reverse the order of his acronym. I, I call it a MAP. So mastery, autonomy, and purpose. So I have to have my own desire to have mastery in what I do. And so do you. Um, autonomy, you know, or, or ownership of like, I'm going to do that, you know, um, to, to the best of my ability. And then purpose. Like, I have to know why I'm doing it because that's where these these chemicals I'm talking about come from, right? So when I have my MAP right. I show up in meetings trying to get everyone there to, to grow and get something out of it. When I, ha- when I don't bring my map with me, I show up like what's in it for me. And I leave that meeting going, ooh, I didn't really make much of an impact. I didn't contribute much there. Um, and therefore I actually got less out of it than I would have if I had. So let's go
0: to like uh, drinking alcohol. So let's talk about uh, um, sobriety. There's no yeah. question, there's no question that- you can't get someone to stop drinking. Um, that doesn't work. Uh, they have to want to stop drinking. So yeah. how do we make that pivot to get someone to be autonomous in that decision? So they are willing on their own to go to rehab. They're willing on their own to go to AA meetings. They're willing on their own to do whatever it takes to quit drinking. And I asked this question from a lens of somebody that I couldn't get people I loved to stop. The poor behavior and the actions they were doing because the outcomes were very predictable yet simultaneously preventable so i'm asking you as a coach do we just say sayonara um see you later good luck I'll pat you on the back and uh you know i i hope you see the the light or or is there is there ways we can keep keep working on these people so they can ultimately make this autonomous decision on their own to quit drinking. So it doesn't feel like it's it's forced by somebody that loves them. That, that's, a, that's a tough one for me.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one for all of us, right? And and I don't say that I have the answer in that category, but I have something that's worth batting around for a bit. Okay? Yeah. So we, we talk about the old versus the new lens, right? So how do I get somebody who defaults to self-medicating with alcohol or marijuana or whatever it is, how do I get them to to let go of that old because there's a new that, that is perceived by them to be better? Not because I think it's better, right. but because it's perceived the by them to be better, right? Right. And so I'm going to go to sports for a second just because it might make it easier, right? Um, have you ever had a hobby or a sport that you do that, that you love, like when you were younger? Oh, yeah. Yep. What Name one. Basketball. Okay. Um, have you replaced basketball with anything else since then? Oh, yeah. Okay. What, what's, what's your number one now?
0: Well, after basketball, I went to golf and now I don't golf as much. So I've replaced that with right now, my advocacy, um, the, the work that I do. So,
1: because okay.
0: for, for me, so, it was a physical. So you capabilities. Want
1: ba- yeah. You went basketball to golf, to advocacy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you can't make this stuff up by the way. I didn't know where this was going to go. Right. <laughs> I went from, I went from basketball to tennis, to golf. To advocacy, interesting. I haven't. I haven't played golf this year. I haven't now, either. No, in part, in part, I hurt my shoulder. I did too. Um,
0: <laughs> the same shoulder
1: but too. In the, but back in the day, the hurt shoulder would have just been take more Advil and play golf anyway, right? One hundred percent. But it, but it, I think it's it's this exchange, right? There's got to be a great exchange where I think that. Getting involved with my family and taking my kids to a park is going to be much more rewarding and bring me much more joy and fulfillment than getting drunk tonight.
0: But you and, see that.
1: And until, I, and until I can exchange the old for the new and, and decide I want the new, I, there's going to be no change.
0: And that's kind of going back to my question. It's like, so that fine line between being an enabler and, and having tough love, you know, drawing a line in the sand saying, I'm not going to let you back in the house or I'm going to, or, or, we're going to get divorced or, you know, those threats that you make. Um, and sometimes that can drive somebody. Uh, I, I have a friend or not a friend. I have a gentleman I met in, um, Salt Lake city on the tour. I'm trying to get him on my podcast, but it's a very sensitive topic. Uh, and I'm not sure he's comfortable talking about it publicly, but. You know, he yeah. was going through a difficult marriage and, um all of his friends were chirping in his ear. Hey, you got to, You got to get divorced. You got to move on with your life. You know, you're, you're young and they had two kids and the wife was battling mental illness, uh, bipolar and depression, all these things. And she's medicated and things. And so he finally, finally one day just stood up drew a line in the sand. Right. And, um, filed separate, you know, separated and then was going to file divorce and stuff and make a long, long story short. Uh, she ended up, um, killing both of the daughters and killed herself. So, so you go back to situations like that, that are so magnified and so just abnormal that that's not how most divorces end. But when I was on tour, I just, I repeatedly ran into some really horrific uh, end results of people who lost their fight with either couldn't, you know, like my wife, you know, she couldn't quit drinking and that, that cost her her life. And in this case, this, this, uh, this woman thought her only way out was to take her two daughters with her. And I'm like, so that's, that's the fear. I think when you're trying to tough love somebody, you know, I kicked Seth out of our house after prison, he was dead in two months. So it's like, and then again, if I just kept him giving him money, uh, that wasn't going to help him quit his, uh, his addiction. So it's like, I struggle with this. Uh, not the guilt part of it, but how can I help people going forward, make I don't know Not a better decision. I made the best decisions I could dealt the cards I was dealt with, Joe. but, but maybe, maybe just maybe, maybe there was another way I could have done things. I don't know. Maybe there wasn't, um, I, I kind of struggled with
1: well, that. a couple, a couple things come to mind. Um, there is a pattern to that. You, you see a lot of those types of stories. I mean, the yeah. first suicide that I told you about right. was great friends of ours told their son, you can bring a friend to spring break. If you drink on spring break, we're putting you on a bus and sending you home to grandpa. Oh, he drank on spring break, put him on a bus, sent yeah. him home to grandpa. He, like went any grandpa we do. Yeah. he went and got grandpa's shotgun the next day and Jeez. took his life. And so, you know, horrible, you know, devastating to the whole community. You know, this is a championship wrestler, all state wrestler, you know, the whole thing. Right. But, but, but to go back to the the point you're making is. I think one of the biggest problems is when people give advice and they're not licensed to give advice, and you don't have to be licensed, right? Or they're not thoughtful about, what are the consequences of this advice? So too many people give advice to, I want you to be comfortable. So I just want what's best for you, Jeff. So like you should leave your wife and you should do this and you should do that. Right. But it's all out of like, I'm getting uncomfortable watching you be uncomfortable. So I'm going to do whatever is like easiest or what I think could be best for you. That's not always best and it's not always wise. So, so that, that part bothers me, you know, that there's a lot of people giving advice that ends up in in bad places. Right. Um, But, but in, in terms of, you know, this, this big issue of how do you get someone to change? I'm blessed in that um, I have a, a son-in-law now as of three weeks ago, mm, who right. just really quick, really quick story, and I want you to uh, have mine your, your podcast one day. It'll be worth your time. So. That'd be great. Quick story is super, super intelligent, bright kid, um, grows up in, in you know, uh, Blue Ridge, Georgia goes on a full academic ride to University of Georgia, but he happens to be 6'5", 260. So, you know, they would be more than happy to have him walk onto the football team. So, you know, he wasn't a player, but he was in practice playing and helping, you know, the team. Um, He, he, at at his size, now 6'5", 285, he walks into a convenience store right after graduating, and when you're his size and there's an armed robbery going on, they don't ask any questions. Right. They just shoot. Yeah. so they shoot him five times Jeez. he goes into the hospital to recover for three months here comes the opioid addiction right um, because of the opioid addiction he loses his real job which he was leading like 70 people in a car rental you know environment wow. um, and now he's out holding the rope on on a you know that's been tied through a tree to create friction to let this giant oak tree branch come down and probably because he's high at the time the rope gets caught around his foot he goes up 20 feet down 20 feet lands on his back and the tree lands on his chest cavity, at which point the doctors are like, he's not going to make it. Well, they were wrong. He made it, and now he's even more of an opioid addict because basically for 14 out of 18 months, he, that's all he's been doing. Right By now he's selling them. He's like number one on the wanted list in, in his little town, right? Um, wow. But through God's grace, he avoids arrest and all that, but then he meets my daughter. And so the question I asked myself um, and asked God actually was, why do you keep bringing these, these guys into my daughter's lives who are so broken? So, you know, we had two basically addicts that were dating two of our daughters at the same time. And, and, and this is what I heard in my spirit. Who else would I bring them to? Like who else would, would love them, try to lead them, you know, get them help. Well, I'm going to give you the old versus the new old Joe. And then his name is Joe Travis old Joe Travis was all about getting high, taking the pill, selling the pill, cheating, lying, you know, the whole addict route, right? While, while he's, you know, getting by, you know, doing what he can do. The new Joe met my daughter and said, she's more important to me than any pill I could take. She, her, my future with her is the most important thing to me. So he went into rehab and he literally came out, has not looked back. It's, he just celebrated two years. Um, happens, not only right? did he do that, he started a business, just he's really good with his hands, carpentry, all that. So he went up into Blue Ridge where there's a lot of second homes, you know, mm-hmm. lodges, cabins, all that. Um, he now has 14 people working for him. Um, and he went into the seven digits in revenue this year from scratch in January. So
0: that's an, that's it, an awesome, a, yeah.
1: It's a turnaround story that I right. want you to be exposed to. But but he will tell you he's still in active recovery. Oh, yeah, he still has have- to make Yep. he's making choices every day, but, but he found my daughter and that was more important to him than, than self-medicating.
0: And, and what you just described is what I call my third pillar in the living undeterred mindset, um, to a T the old new and I call that evolution because as it, I call it the evolution of self. And that's what I write. That's a chapter in my book where it's this, it's this gradual conscious evolution that you're trying to make yourself not just better, but you're, I'm a completely different person than I was before the tour, just five months ago. I'm, I'm a completely, yeah. I, I've evolved, and you can evolve negatively, you can evolve positively, but you cannot evolve neutral. You can't stay the same. It's 100% po- impossible that you're going to be the same person you know, tomorrow. It's impossible. I mean, you literally have skin cells fall off your body, so you can't. I mean, it's been proven by science. Yeah. But your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, all these things evolve as well. Sometimes they evolve and you don't really have any say, like a, a car accident or something. But you still have to evolve. And so that's that better, better mindset as well. But on the three pillars of the living undeturned mindset is expectations, preparation, and evolution. And I think that evolution, uh, some people look at it from a, to me, I def- I think it can be defined the wrong way. I'm not talking about evolution as in darwin evolution i'm talking about our, our right. evolution as living beings in a very short time span so five years how do you evolve one year how do you evolve and if you just live every day you're either growing or dying i mean like i think i heard someone once say are you busy growing are you busy living or are you busy dying and yeah. that that's a great way to look at it because i mean you you can't stay the same so go back to trauma so let's say joe um you know God forbid you had a close family member die. Well, you know, right when that moment happened, you got that phone call, that your life will never be the same. It can't be the same. You don't want to go back to being the same because it can't be. It's impossible. You've lost a loved one. How can it be the same? So all you can do is evolve and you can evolve backwards. You can devolve, I guess, or you can evolve, uh, evolve, which you're evolving forwards. And again, that's that better, bitter mindset that the day our son died, I kind of had that in my head. It's like, I'm never going to, my kids are never going to be the same. My wife's never going to be the same. We can either take the better road, again, reframe everything as an opportunity, or we can take the bitter road, which is probably where the majority of most humans end up going down. And that's the addiction, alcoholism, negativity, uh, you know, gambling addictions, whatever addictions you have kind of get magnified. When you're on the when you're on the bitter road you know that victim mindset mm-hmm. so as a coach let me ask you this question as a coach do you spend a lot of time on your clients in self-assessment on whether they are heading down which road i mean I, it's one thing if you tell them but how does the average person out there self-assess all this stuff so they can become more autonomous and less dependent
1: yeah so we have an exercise we put them through that asks them to basically go mine um, their, 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 their top trials, like the toughest things they went through the hardest times in life. And then to mine their triumphs, like the, the things that where they overcame. Right. So, you know, triumphs would be in the evolution. Right. And trials would be, you know, where, where they're just like going through it. And then we basically say, okay, so when you look at both sides of that, bring it back to your key takeaways. Like, who are you because of that? How does that right. affect like your identity? Um, like how do you make life better for others? How does that fuel your purpose, right? And what promise are you willing to keep, right? To to kind of take the things that made your life harder to try to make life better for others. Um, and, and going back to, by the way, I haven't lost, and I'm, and I'm sorry about the loss of Seth and uh, of your wife, right? Uh, but you may notice my shirt. Um, I'm wearing this um, intentionally today, but I'm also wearing it a couple of times a week. This is that semicolon, right? Um, and yeah. in the English language, it says, like, the sentence isn't over yet. And so I think I told you, I, in 2015, one of our daughters tried. And yeah. in 2022, like just seven weeks ago, one of our daughters tried. Yeah. Um, and so what, what you don't know is that both of these kids were super successful. So by appearance and by performance, right? nobody would ever have expected it, right? So. Right. um but but I'm different now. I'm evolving. I'm transforming. Right, right. I, yep. I I view each kid differently. I treat each kid differently. I I view my wife differently. I view every. I'm, I'm more em- empathetic to everybody because of what I went through six or seven weeks ago. Like it got real. Here I was leading this mission to try to help parents reveal what their kids' performance and, and yeah. appearance can conceal, and. Tested all my kids, looked at the results and, you know, this one was a little bit off, but not off to the point where I thought there'd be that kind of a decision made. And um, that was a super wake up call. Right. So, you know, we all get wake up calls in life and and we have a choice when we wake up bitter or better. Right. Bitter or better. So for me, what I want to coach the people to do is look back at what hurt you what can you get from that that you can go use to make life better for other people? Because that will be your cure. Like if I just, if it just hurts me and I keep dwelling on it, I, I don't make any progress.
0: So let, let me ask you this question then. So is there a difference between letting go of the, of the past and learning
1: from the past? Yeah. I'm going to add a new word for forgiving. Right. Right. So, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I, like I that. I, I can. I, I'm not going to forget the past. You can't. I, you're not going you to forget. You're yeah. not going to forget losing Seth and losing your wife. And and that's you know, where I get
0: upset I'm- when people post these ridiculous things on social media. And you just oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta move on from your past. Or time heals all wounds. I'm like, have you buried a child? <laughs> I, I or yeah. you buried your spouse? I mean, most everybody I know on social media. You know i said something extremely traumatic but you know i don't have a spouse to go home to to talk to at night at, after six o'clock i mean i'm by myself so it's like have you been there you know and, and if you have i mean how, how, how do you just let go of that how, how do you how do you how do you um how do you move on and so i i struggle with people making these naive comments about just letting go of the past and i like your forgiving the past i really think that's powerful and i'm going to start using that I like that. well let's
1: go let's bring it let's bring it to a head right so remember i said i get frustrated with a lot of people giving advice right yeah and so let me let me reframe it good intentions bad advice
0: uh, they, they 100 they're all intentions. good intentions good, you're right you're right
1: they have good intentions right it's bad advice and so here's mm-hmm. here let's just bring it to a point forgive and forget no <laughs> I'll, I'll forgive because me forgiving you for something you did against me right. actually releases me. Right. I'm no longer carrying the burden. So the forgiveness right. is for me. But I'm not going to forget because if I forget, I'm likely to go touch the stove again and touch the stove right. again and touch. So there, there was probably something I did to contribute to you saying or doing whatever you did. So, I, yeah, I got to go learn from that. So that the new relationships I have, or if you and I are reconciling, which would be ideal, our relationship, I don't do the things that caused you to do the things that you did, right? So I can forgive you and we can reset, but I'm not going to forget, right? right? But I'm also not going to hold it against you every second because it's that part's behind me.
0: It seems to me that the inability for most of us to genuinely live in the moment, as we are captured by living in the past, and we're stressed about living in the future. So, for example, here I am today, and I've got obviously some things in my past, as do you, that are very traumatic, very sad, very unfortunate, very unnecessary, very unfair. And yes. tomorrow, I have to think about, you know, retirement. I got to think about, um, you know, the stock market being down and a recession we're in, and all the. I got to think about. Maybe ending up in a nursing home someday. I got to think about when I die, you know, where am I leaving my assets and what's the most tax efficient way to do that? There's all these stresses out there about a day that hasn't even happened yet. And I may not even make it there. I lost a friend uh, two weeks ago that died from leukemia. He was 52. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. a few years ago, a friend of mine I went to high school with died at 52 from ALS. So they never got to retirement. They never got to um, all these things that the future, you know, supposedly awaits us. But we live so much in the past, and it seems like we spend most of our day not living the one place we need to live, and that's right here, right now. Why is that?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know why people do it. I, I, I know what we do about it. Um, we are huge proponents, obviously, of be present with purpose. I mean, that's one of the the, the, the tenets of what we talk about is be present with purpose, Um, So I will give people an exercise and just say, hey, over the next week, I just want you to, you know, kind of take every thought captive. And just at the end of your day, just ask yourself the question, what percentage was I thinking about the past?
0: Mm. What,
1: What percentage was I present with purpose? And what percentage was I worrying about the future? And until you can wrap your mind around that and see it for yourself, I could tell you it's not good to keep dwelling on the past. And, you know, you don't want to worry about the future. I could say that to you. It won't mean anything until you literally just kind of put a piece of paper out, you know, literally just throw a piece of paper out there and just put past, present, future. And just, you know, as you're having a thought, put a tick mark. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, I was just thinking about the back. tick mark, check mark, right? And at the end, go wow, seventeen times today I thought about the past, fourteen times I thought about the future, and I was present with people for three times.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I, my I, ratios are off. I hundred percent agree with um, with that exercise being being important and valuable. I still struggle with how do you maintain that. So let's say you identify that uh, you know you're very you're not living in the moment a lot you're aware of that, you understand it, but how do you actually implement strategies so you stay more in the moment as time goes on? So five days down the road, 15 days down the road, because we just, we revert back to the, the normal behaviors that we had our whole life. And so how do you actually, how do you change behavior? And I've, I've thought of this as a financial advisor for 32 years before I hung that up, was there was two ways we changed behavior, uh, you scare people or inspiring and scaring may work. I could, I could say, Hey Joe, you know, if you ate pizza, you're going to have a heart attack and you're going to think, well, I'm not going to have pizza then, but then a month down the road, you didn't have that heart attack. And now you're like, well, I'll have pizza, you know, so you, you just go back to what you were doing. But if I can somehow take the same scenario and put hope in, so instead of eating pizza something hopeful comes down the road you see your grandchildren you can you can retire on that beach you know put that and and what you're doing is you're taking the same event having pizza okay so let's take drugs for example so why the hell do we spend so much time with our kids talking about drugs I'll tell you right now we shouldn't talk to our kids about drugs at all we should talk to our kids about making better decisions in difficult situations the drug thing will take care of itself if you teach and show the kids how to make better decisions in difficult situations. So our society is spending so much time going to schools, talking about suicide, talking about drugs. And I'm like, again, I do think we need to do that. I'm not saying put that on the shelf, but why don't we get back to talking about how to make better decisions in the heat of the moment? You know, breathing when you're stressed, uh, being aware that you're in the moment that your parent talked about for so many years. Now I'm there, I have a kid offered me a beer at a football game. Here I am. This is the moment my dad was telling me, take a deep breath.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, if you take a deep breath, you can't talk. Try that one time, take a through your nose, take a big deep breath through your nose and then try to talk at the same time. You can't do it. So if you can talk to kids and say, you know, the number one thing you can do delay your mouth saying something you're going to regret is take a deep, deep breath and you can't talk. Yeah. And that gives you just an extra four five, six seconds to think about what you're going to say. So I don't know where I'm going with this. I know we're wrapping up our podcast here. I'll
1: pick up where you left off, which is like what can we do? What can we do to help people? Right. So take a deep breath because while you're doing that, you, your brain can process for a mm-hmm. minute and like you can't speak at the same time. That, that's a good tip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you want to be present with purpose? Make sure this is never up yeah. and on, and yep. particularly like this during any conversation right. you're having. Right. Okay. Um, yep. so you know, there you know, the thing about purpose is it helps us to focus our attention and intention on things that matter. And so, the reason we get them to that foundation is, now I can say, okay, so your purpose is to um, and, encourage other people to live their best life. Mm-hmm. How does having a beer at the football game contribute to that?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I have something to come back to, right? Your your purpose is to encourage people to live their best life. Um, you know, how does how does going out behind the school and smoking pot between classes? do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so we, we have something to, to have as a framework. And the other reason that's the reason people have coaches, by the way. So, you know, my clients, I'm really blessed. They will come to me um, and, and say, I've been really struggling with this for the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so let's go back. Um, when did you start struggling with it? About two days after our last call. Okay. Um, was there some event that triggered it? Like who or what is contributing to it? You know, how often did you do it right when, you know when you found yourself doing it did you remember the technique of put your phone down instead of you know mm-hmm. having it in your face while you're talking to your wife and so we'll just kind of recover where we've been because let's face it some of us it takes 21 days to change a habit that's what they say just some of say us it'll take, some of us it'll take 21 months right but right. as long as i'm moving forward and so that's right. the thing is when i start to feel like i'm failing i'm likely to give up so I I go on a diet, I, by the way, hate diets, but I go (laughs) on a diet, I want to lose 10 pounds. Right. Well, that was the wrong vision to start with. What if we talked about, hey, what kind of fuel are you putting in your body? Right. So you'll have more energy um, deeper into the day. That's a different conversation. So a lot of it is we've set ourselves up as like, we want the easy button. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. And
1: that's reframing. Yeah, Yeah, it is reframing. We're following the lemmings off the diet thing. Hey, it's New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose weight. It's like, well, maybe you should gain weight. You know, maybe for the next month you should gain weight because you should be hitting the gym and lifting and you'll actually gain weight. Like, oh my gosh, God forbid I gained five pounds. Yeah, but it was muscle and your metabolism slowly going to hit a tipping point. And and suddenly these other good habits of putting good nutrition in your body, fuel, right, which is going to. Just watch your macros, how much protein versus carbs right. versus fat I'm in? in. Um, guess what? I'm eating 3,000 calories, and they told me I could only have 2,100 if I wanted to lose weight. Well, I just lost weight because the protein with the exercise actually caused you know muscle gain and weight loss at the same time. But that's sustainable. I can do that for years.
0: you got me thinking so many things, and uh, um, I'd like to continue some of this if you're okay with going a little bit longer than the hour on the show. Um, you okay on time?
1: I've got okay. um I've got a hard stop I got a hard stop in about eight minutes so that I can okay. jump out. Um, the- I was going to
0: ask you a question. So okay, so um one of the areas that we're working with, and I know you and I are working on kind of similar objectives with kids, is this concept of uh, meaning and purpose, and the word existentialism. And so, um you know, in in our work that we're doing, to try to design this this program for kids is so we have a word like meaning and purpose. What's the translation, what word would you use to a six-year-old to talk about existentialism and meaning and purpose? Because I think that's where sometimes we get lost as adults is we're trying to present these ideas to kids and they don't, they don't know what mental health, we assume they know what mental health is, but we say, you guys need to, you know, work on your mental health. They're like, I don't, so how, how do you describe mental, how do you describe meaning and purpose to a child?
1: Yeah, great question. I'm going to hit the um, uh, the the uh, well being one as well, right? So yeah. to a, to a kid, I'll basically just say, "Hey, there's something that you do that makes your mommy and daddy's life better. What is it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's that thing that? And, and you feel good when you're doing it. What is that? Mm-hmm. That's purpose and that's purpose and meaning. All right. Would it, would so it be motivation?
0: Like, would it be motivation or desire? Would those be applicable words to?
1: They're, they're in motivation, desires, values. They're all in there. But here's the thing: yeah. make it. Seem- what do you do? Right? Ian, what do you do to make Jeff's life better? And he'd right. go, Oh, well, I, I take him out golfing with me, or I, you know, I call him once a week, or what? Okay, right. great. Um, does that work with your friends? Does that work with your grandma? Okay, do more of that. Okay, so yeah, I, like I, I literally just define purpose as what you uniquely do to make life better for others. So just focus on that. So get rid of all the big words. And then in, in the well being yeah. thing, I I would just ask, you know, um, are there times where you feel something and you're not sure you want to share it with other people? Cause you're not sure it's a good feeling. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Can you, can you put a word to what that feeling is? I'm struggling with it. Well, is it a, is it a good feeling or is it a bad feeling? Mm-hmm. It's a bad feeling. Okay. So, um, is, is down something you feel? Yeah. I feel down do you, like off off is what you feel. Okay. So when you feel off or you feel down, what could you do to maybe feel better? Go talk to your parents, go talk to your teacher, go, go see your school nurse. Right. So I I just think we need to get to a place where we, A, dumb things down, um, you know, to the point where if a six-year-old can understand it, I can get a 41-year-old to understand it. So that's part of what I do. Um, But the second thing is, it's all about, could we talk about it? So my, my whole mission, the only reason I'm even building the scan is so that people will be able to engage in deeper conversations faster. Mm-hmm. So rather than having to ask you an hour and a half's worth of questions, I could have you go on and take the scan in 10 minutes and I could quickly see where you're coming out in 18 different areas. And right. now I know of, and by the way, let's say you were bad in all 18. I would still only pick one or two to talk about for that conversation. Yeah. You
0: have to, because so, the biggest thing that you and I have, the biggest competitor we have, the biggest fight we have up against for children for adolescents is attention. That's what we're up against. So if we're designing a product, if we're designing a, a model for designing, um, even writing a book or doing a anything that is geared towards adolescence, um, it's all about attention. And if you can create something that is, can hold their attention initially and then keep it held. Then I think you're onto something. You know, because I think there's a lot of really great intended people out there giving talks in schools about, say, suicide, and they're putting up ten uh, things you need to do, or blah blah blah. And you get to like anything more than two or three, uh, and kids just, um, kids just aren't gonna aren't gonna pay attention, and then you then you lose them, and then all these great well-intended strategies and bottles and gratitude journals and all. I mean, you give a kid a gratitude journal that's twenty pages long. I I just can't see, I can't see a kid, yeah. I can't see a kid using that. And I'm not saying that maybe one or two do, but um, I, I don't know. I just, there's something about, we're trying to fix these things and we're making the complexities of mental health almost more complex.
1: Yes, um, I'm looking for something real quickly. So um, I gave this to a client this week. Hey, I got two self-reflection questions for you. And I just want you to spend a week or two on them. What's the best thing that happened to me today? Just answer that. What's the best thing that happened to me today? Right. And who or what am I most grateful for in this season of my life? So that's all I want you to do. Just answer perfect. those two questions. That's perfect. Wherever and however you want. So, but let me go back to the big thing. Cause you've been asking me a lot of like, what do I do to coach? And, and this is super important. Yeah. That's right? a good way to
0: tie this up. Let's talk a little bit about what you do yeah. and then how people can reach you.
1: Yeah. So num- number one, and I'm not worried about like my business and all that, but like as a mindset of my coach, here's what it is. Coach one-on-one, me with you, you with Ian. You know, me with someone, right? Coach one-on-one, focus on one thing until there's movement and change in it. And then still coach one-on-one and focus on another thing. So with this person, all I'm trying to do right now is get them to realize, even though you're going through a nasty divorce and it was blindsided, laid on you, and it's really disrupting your work and you're, you know, sad and you can't get out of bed and all that's going on. The only way out of this right now is something's still going right. Oh, absolutely. Right? Always. And, so, yeah. and so, I'm not going to share who this is, but, you know, the message yeah. comes back and it's just amazing yeah. how much it, those two questions throughout. But he said, my dad's surgery went well today and I had a good FaceTime with one of my kids. It's like, cool. There you go. That's it. The, 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 the now Isn't, that enough? Isn't that enough to just have a good
0: day? Yeah. Isn't that just enough? I mean, why do we always have to have more, you know? Can't we just Yeah, be so I got to have the you...
1: hand surgery go, well, I got to reconcile my relationship. I right, got to right, close right, the business right. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> Who said I it's had unrealistic 272? expectations. You yeah. know, and I think we're all guilty of that. Hey, listen, brother, how do people reach you?
1: Um, easiest thing is uh, they can just uh, text me, actually, at 404-213-8997. And from there, I'll give them my email or whatever else they need. But... Uh, 404-213-8997 and they can go check out our website if they want it's it's a, a Greek word and a, and a Japanese word smashed together it's trexagai t-r-e-x-a-g-a-i.com um, and basically that means run with purpose which is the the band mm-hmm. that you see me wearing right so we believe that when people learn to run with purpose um, that they access the you know oxytocin dopamine and endorphins um they they access their their most fulfilling and impactful life and and the more they do that the less they'll want to do these other things that you want them to stop doing <laughs> um, because they'll realize that no high compares to the high of making life better for other people
0: purpose becomes passion when it gets personal brother um keep living under turd thanks for being on the show my man always enjoy talking with you
1: thanks for having me and you have a, you have a wonderful week
0: thanks brother